What is up, y'all? My name is Kristen. My name is Sarah. And welcome to the Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast. It's the first of the month. Your bills are due. Yeah, bills are due, and your drunk mystery and history is due, and <laughs> Sarah's going to go first, because I've heard she has a lighthearted one. I tried to do the same, and it didn't work out that way, so I think we talked about it, and I think it's safer if you go first. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down for a little lighthearted fun. So my drunk mystery and history is not really true crime related, you know, but there may be a bit of mystery to it, you know, if you've ever wondered about such things, um, such as enemas, buttholes, and farts. I can't say that I have in particular, but I'm, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued to see where this goes. I wonder how enemas were invented or how long they've been around or whatever. Until I came across, you know, just a fun fact today, and I was like, wow, I wonder what else I could find about On A Thousand Ways to Die, I heard about the guy who did the alcohol enema and, like, you know, died from it. Ooh. That's about the extent I have. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Don't recommend. But he had, like, liver problems, probably from drinking, and I guess he couldn't (laughs) drink, so so he decided to get his wife to help him stick it up his bum. And I mean, if you are not familiar with an enema, it is t- <laughs> it's like a technique thing you do. You stick a liquid, uh, almost like medicine con- concoction up your rectum and it cleanses it out. It can relieve constipation and it's used for bowel cleansing. My dad when he was in the hospital one time he had gotten almost like shock because he was constipated oh shit and so they did an enema and it's just like it wasn't pretty because it, it makes it cleanses you out so. i've seen a tiktok of one guy um talk about how you know he does enemas before his dates so yes yeah yeah And if you do them a lot, you know, on the regular, they're not as gross because you're... Yeah, cleaning it out. out. But I've heard it's kind of, like, bad to do them often. So, like, fair warning, like, don't do them on the reg reg. Because I think it, like, something about it takes the lining out of your rectum that you need. Something germs. Can a scientist help me out? Yeah. The natural bacteria and stuff. It gets all altered and... Too much of a good thing can still hurt. Right. And Mm -hmm. I'll get into how popular it was, you know, back in the day, too, so. Ooh, enema Um, parties? uh, (laughs) No. (sighs) Some of the first medical literature, apparently, about the enema is from the Egyptian Ebers Papyrus, which is from 1550 BC. I was about to say, I don't know if that makes me sound ignorant, but that sounds old as fuck. (laughs) Elder. 
Damn. We've been caring about our buttholes a long time. Very long time. Wow. And very much cared yeah. a lot. Well, that's good to know. The Egyptians, and um, I'm talking specifically like royalty, mm. they took care of that area and <laughs> they had specialists. So they called their enema specialist the shepherd of the anus. Like <laughs> and their that. sole job was to keep the royal butthole healthy. Well, okay, but who did you have to piss off in a previous life to get that fucking title when you come back? There was also a keeper of the royal rectum or guardian of the anus who was the pharaoh's enema maker. Enemas continued to be popular throughout various royalties, you know, within history. So King Louis XIV had a love for them. He had been given around 2,000 in his lifetime. Damn. <laughs> which apparently for the time period was not unusual. Some people, because it went through this, like, really popular, like, enemas were just, like, a fad. Some okay, people got them it, three, two times a day. How is it that people don't even wash their ass cracks nowadays, but people were doing <laughs> enemas two to three times a day? Like, that makes... Hmm. where When did the jump happen? I'm curious. Like, when hmm. did we stop caring so much about our anuses? I feel like a lot of people do. It's just not as wildly... Um, Talked about? It's not like the thing to do you get butthole <laughs> shamed if you talk about taking enemas on the daily yeah according to egyptian mythology the god thoth invented the enema sorry thoth good pronunciation it's t-h-o-t-h <laughs> that's how i would try and say it <laughs> when i say it it feels like i'm trying to mispronounce the word sauce <laughs> He got lost in the thaws. Thoth got lost in the top. The butthole soft. So, the god Thoth was... And now I keep scratched. hearing sauce. I know, I'm sorry. Thoth was the god of the moon. Oh. Which brings, amongst other things, of course, but... Honestly, kind of makes sense. Moon? Well, this brings us to our next topic. The butt. Mooning. Oh. Yeah. Did he, like, create that, too? uh, No, but mooning, as we know it, does... is derived from the moon because the round nature of one's bum... The so-called first mooning in recorded history was around 66 AD when a Roman soldier lifted up his dress their armor outfit skirt thing yeah. um, and, and mooned a group of Jewish pilgrims like that were kind of below him. Why does it always got to be the Jews? They were on their <laughs> pilgrimage to Jerusalem. That is really messed up, but at the same time, that's kind of... I did read in another source um, that while mooning the crowd, he was also farting, <laughs> but... <laughs> 
<laughs> Could you just imagine if like a little shark came out? <laughs> it's happened to the best of us. <laughs> at least once or twice, at least. <laughs> <clears throat> Him doing this caused a riot within the crowd below him, though, uh, because where he was, there was a group of soldiers that were kind of camped up above to just kind of keep eyes on the pilgrimage and all of that. God. And so this caused a riot. The infuriated crowd below him became more of like a mob and they started throwing <laughs> stones, <laughs> which in result, caused an over-response by the Roman military. Thousands died. It started a war? I don't know if they would call it a war. Like a battle? Maybe like a civil battle, yeah. Fucking... Dude! Over an ass? Okay. Okay, I... Alright, that is... Yeah, and there's no evidence to show that the soldier who mooned the Jewish crowd below him was ever reprimanded for inciting. Of course this not. Of course not. Thing. Well, why would he? Roman mm. soldier lives matter. It's <laughs> another early instance of mooning happened during the Fourth Crusade, which was around 1203. This was when Western Europeans attempted to take Constantinople. 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 I got gotcha. you. Yeah, there's I, not I know two that P's. one. Constantinople. Mm-hmm. Not as familiar, Watch, but I'm, I'm glad you are, Kristen. No, I'm fucking saying it wrong, probably, but. Oh. <laughs> from what I remember from the movies, Constantinople. Probably not like that. Const- Const- oh, yeah. Constantinople. Constantinople. As the Crusaders' ships pulled away after a failed attack, the Byzantines Byzantines, hooted and hollered while showing their bare buttocks and this is a quote, sorry, quote, showed their bare buttocks in derision to the fleeing foe, end quote. Acceptable. Acceptable Acceptable behavior, I'd say. (laughs) There's also a tale from the 13th century about an Italian nobleman and troubadour named Alberico da Romano. Ooh, Ooh. nice. (laughs) He had lost his favorite falcon during a hunt. That's sad. And he got so angry. He, like, was pissed. Yeah. He, quote, dropped his trousers and exposed his rear to the Lord as a sign of abuse and reveling. Okay, you lost me there. (laughs) He basically mooned God. Yeah, because, okay, yeah, disrespecting God. Okay, yeah, okay. When you put it that way, I'm fucking here for it. (laughs) Sticking it right to the man himself. And um, not really about mooning, but definitely on the top uh, topic of assholes. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, a.k.a. Mm. Mozart. (laughs) Like, I do not know how to say his middle name. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Amadeus, okay. Amadeus. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, he once wrote a six-part canon titled... Lekmik M. Arch. <laughs> he was gay. 
Which loosely translate to lick me in the arse. Yeah. He was actually, they like, because um, I, obviously Pride Month, I was looking at some historical pride figures, and Mozart was one of them. They yeah. like found some letters between him and a lover. So I'm like, hey. Yeah. He also apparently used to keep a journal detailing his farts. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder where that fetish happened in life. <laughs> Which brings us to the next topic. Flatulence, a.k.a. flatus, a.k.a. farting. Mm. Have you ever wondered how your butt knows not to poop itself when you fart? I actually have not. (laughs) And I get high quite often, so. (laughs) So the anal sampling mechanism is a reflex that detects the contents of the rectal unit or the rectal vault, which allows for voluntary flatulence to occur without unexpected feces along with it. Just a fun fact. (laughs) So there's a nerve in your butt that lets you fart without pooping yourself until you do. (laughs) Until you shart. In which so case, I don't know the, what's up with that. The nerve is pinched and it doesn't quite go out. <laughs> when Benjamin Franklin was working in France as the United States ambassador, he heard about a call for scientific papers from the Royal Academy of, of Brussels. So in response, he wrote an essay titled Fart Proudly. This was considered one of the funniest essays at that time, it pretty much challenged scientists to create a medicine to make farts smell good. In his essay, Benjamin Franklin says, quote, a few stems of asparagus eaten shall give our urine a disagreeable odor, Mm -hmm. and a pill of turpentine no bigger than a pea shall bestow on it the pleasing smell of violets. And why should it be the be thought more impossible in nature to find means of making a perfume of our wind than of our water. I mean, I get you. I'm sorry. You know what I keep thinking of when you're talking about this is that one fucking episode of South Park where the people of South Park are like randomly exploding. And so they hire uh, Stan's dad, Randy, to like figure out what's going on. And he discovers that like, oh, these people are dating. And when they date, they don't fart in front of each other and so Mm. they're holding their farts and they're combusting and so he's like let out your farts but then everyone (laughs) starts everyone starts farting uncontrollably and it like creates a greenhouse (laughs) gas effect and then there's like an ozone layer and so they're like no the lesson is we have to fart in a respectable amount (laughs) not too much and not too little just the right amount South Park life lessons from south park there's always one always always a life lesson Mm -hmm. always an episode about it once there was a man named joseph pujol pujol that's unfortunate i literally have no idea i have no idea (laughs) joseph at one point discovered he had the magical talent 
of being able to inhale air through his rectum and then expel it at his control. Through his rectum, right? Yes. Okay. Would have been worrying if it like went through his mouth. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, so okay. he could so he could like fart on command, basically. Yeah. So what was wrong with it? So what deadly disease did he have that allowed well, him to no, do Well, no, it's what he decides to do with his talent. Oh. So after a career in the army, Joseph started using his talents to make some money, honey. He threw that ass on stage. He began performing at local music halls with a stage name Le Petomane, which translates to Fart Maniac. He would sing the popular French songs La Marseille and A Claire de Lune. (laughs) Sorry, I'm like, don't do French. No. Um, But he wouldn't like sing them with his mouth. He'd sing them with farts. Okay. He would also play the flute, blow out candles, and other farting activities all by using farts. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd pay some money to see that, not gonna lie. <laughs> he became pretty famous, actually, and As he his asshole shows at Moulin, Ro- Moulin Rouge. Dude. Moulin Rouge. Okay, that's pretty big. If you're playing at the Moulin Rouge just for farting a fucking song, I mean, you gotta yeah. be farting it pretty well. Yeah. I'd, like, wonder if he was on tune, you know, like, he could control the pitch of his farts. I mean... He probably, he must have. If he sang French classic, like... Uh, like songs could you imagine going on a first date and you're like hey where are we going he's like i know this guy (laughs) i've heard this great performer he plays the french national anthem like no other baby just you wait (laughs) (laughs) adolf motherfucking hitler stop what Sorry, not sorry, asshole. Yeah. Had he, you know, struggled with agonizing flatulence. As he should. Yeah. Karma. Well done. Well done, God. For this, he took 28 different pills for on like the daily, I guess. Damn. Which included, well, Along with pills, his overall treatment, I guess, because cocaine doesn't... I guess you could put in a pill, but his treatment Damn, they included really cocaine, did cocaine for amphetamines, human placenta, strychnine, and atropine, which, you know, okay. obviously, I guess, would cause some serious side effects, as one might assume. I mean, the, the cocaine for cocaine, sure. Cocaine, amphetamines, <laughs> and then... That's only to name some of the the pills, you know, Mm-mm. and all the twenty eight. I mean, good God, he had violent mood swings, euphoria, attention lapses. I mean, he started a world war. <laughs> he, he had to be on something. <laughs> he, and I'm not saying this is an excuse for his. Uh, no, no, no. It's just you know situation. You, you expect someone who wants to commit a genocide of an entire fucking human population to be a little bit off his rocker. I mean, I just thought he was. It's hilarious that he took so many crazy medicines for because agonizing he flatulence. <laughs> 
That is literally like no wonder he was so pissed off at life. <laughs> yeah, and so because of this, I guess he he tried to keep with an extreme diet, which I imagine only consisted of his drugs. Um, you know, he had recurring stomach problems. I'm sure the cocaine did not help with that. Yeah, <laughs> that and he had thing. a reliance on drug pushers because of his prescriptions. <laughs> um, no. And the source I read, it said something like how his his little agonizing situation made life at the dinner table terrible for his guests. <laughs> Dude, honestly, now that I look back at, like, every photo of him, he looks so agonizingly constipated. It makes so much sense now. He has such a sour-ass face. It's literally because he's, like, his asshole hurts. Yeah. Though. I'm glad. I'm glad to know that that face is mm-hmm. because it's a face of pain. That makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> and just to end things on one last fun fact in case y'all were wondering, the longest fart ever. <gasps> I'm so curious to hear the answer to this. What's Can I make your a guess? guess? Can I guess? Okay. Is it over an hour? No. Okay. <laughs> I was about to be so mind blown if it was. Okay. Like three minutes. Close. Okay. Okay. Good answer. I had to be more um, realistic and- with that one. I th- I don't know if the record has been broken, but in the article I read, it stated this as being the uh, record for the longest fart in the Guinness Book of World Records at 2 minutes and 42 seconds. The record is held by one named Bernard Clemens. Bernard Clemens. <laughs> Congrats on the gut you got. Because, like, I do a plank for a minute, and that is eternity. So time's, like, almost three. Imagine, <laughs> Imagine the way your butt feels, because it's just going <gasps> like <laughs> Damn, that's a, I mean, that's a record you should be proud of, regardless if someone beats it or not. That is insane. And it's such wow. like, I bet, you know, like Bernard Clemens sounds like such a grandpa. Yeah. You know, imagine being a grandpa and you have like. He's 69 on record. his deathbed and right before he dies, he just <laughs> rips one out to go. Oh, God. Yeah. We should try to find a picture of him for. we Like episode this half of the episode in memoriam of bernard clemens <laughs> asshole because holy shit holy fucking shit it yeah thank you for the service that you gave us, bernard <laughs> that is insane and thank you sarah i like i really i you told me this was going to be about you know buttholes and farts and i don't know what i was expecting not this not this but i'm glad i'm glad now i learned so much i really did me too honestly and uh you know you you know me i like to usually go with definitely true crime and stuff but i thought we could use a little laugh a little lighthearted, but also learn something at the same time. So. Who knew that buttholes could be so prevalent throughout history? Right? It's amazing. I mean, I wasn't so surprised with the Egyptians because didn't they like little boys? 
Well, they were just very sexual to begin with. The culture was very just, I think, open. So it doesn't surprise me that they cared True. about the state of their buttholes. Who knows? Because, like, the first um, vibrator, I think, was created around that time, too. The Bees in the Gourd by Cleopatra. Oh. Oh, yeah. Well, also, the first modern-day vibrator was created to cure hysteria in women because they said masturbation would cure it, and doctors got tired of physically masturbating women yeah Yeah. so they they didn't invent the vibrator for women's pleasure they invented it because they were tired of doing it themselves yeah fucked up ew okay hmm a way to bring it down, but yeah. I know. <laughs> like, god damn, when I use my vibrator later, it won't even be fun. We can't even do that for fun anymore. But no, that was so, I'm, now I'm going to tell everyone about the war that was started because someone literally mooned some fucking people trying to go to fucking pray to their god. <laughs> so fucked. Oh, okay. Well, that's history for you. Are you ready? I hope for next mine? time you fart, you think of me. Yeah, you better. <laughs> you have to, or uh, Bernard, or Bernard. If you don't think of Bernard or Sarah next time, mm, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for the laugh because mine does not have any. Oh it's, God, eh. I'm ready though. Honestly, I'm ready to get wrecked. Yeah, I really tried to make it somewhat lighthearted, but. Um, <laughs> Obviously, it's Pride Month, and I wanted to take the time to, like, talk about Pride history, and none of it's happy, so... For my drunk mystery in history for the month of June, I decided to do a case. Take it... I'm taking it out of the States, out of the country. Uh, This is based in Uganda, and I'm talking about one of the Ugandan citizens who's named David Kato Kisul. Sule. I'm so I'm gonna right now it's in Uganda. I'm gonna say a lot of names wrong. I'm gonna try my best, guys. I'm really, really sorry. Don't hate me. <laughs> but this is the but uh it started off by me finding one article of a topic that happened in Uganda and it just kind of spiraled from there. And it really speaks to the LGBTQ community and kind of what they go through outside of the states it's easy especially for us americans to just kind of like focus on what's going on here but if you take a step back you know it happens everywhere in the world so i just wanted to take a second to give a voice to the countries outside of the u.s that are experiencing this as well because i know we definitely have listeners that are around the area somewhat uh, so David Kato Kasul was born in the Kasul Kasule clan, and they lived in their ancestral village of Nakawala Namataba, the town council, which was located in the Mukono district. And David Kato Kasule was basically nicknamed Kato. And this is a name that was often given to anyone that was the younger sibling of a twin set. So he was the younger born of a twin. It, when I looked it up on Google, it came from like a baby, 
name website, but apparently the origins of this come from the African Luganda origin, and it means the second born of twins, the name Kato. Hmm. Um, And then if you look into Hungarian origin, it can also mean pure or chaste. So that's where that name comes from. I really couldn't get a date of birth, but I do know that he did go on to go to King's College, Boudou, and then would go from there to Kayambogo University. And he went to these colleges to get his degree in teaching. And after this, he would use it, obviously, to teach. And he would go to various schools, including the Nile Vocational Institute in Nijur near Jinja. Now, it was said that it was here in Nijur that David Kato would really take the time to discover himself and realize that he was, in fact, a man who loved men. He came out as gay in 1991 and would openly come out. Now, if this were to happen in pre-colonial Ugandan society, this would really be seen with indifference, aka like no one would really give a fuck. King Mwanga II of Buganda, which was Uganda's largest ethnic group at the time, was famously known to have regular sexual relationships, not only with that of his 16 wives, uh, but with that of his male subjects, even though, unfortunately, I did read um, it wasn't always consensual with mm -hmm. the male subjects, but we're we're like, we're going to drive right past that. He was bisexual and he was proud and he was out and society was cool with it. The Mudoko or the Mudoko Dako individuals of the Lango people were also known within um, the country at the time to believe in a third gender that lived alongside the male and female ones. And homosexuality was also said to be very well acknowledged and practiced. No. Yeah, <laughs> practiced <laughs> with the Teso Baham, uh, Baham, Bahima Banyoro and Paramangong peoples. I'm sorry, I'm really trying to say it. (laughs) I'm trying to say all these names one time and not mess up, so don't come at me. I'm fucking white slash Latina, and I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) And, you know, everything in Ugandan territory was thriving. It was okay, at least. Until the fucking damn Brits got to come in and like ruin everything, ruin the fun for everyone, which not really, but kind of, because when (laughs) under British colonial rule during the 19th century, you would start to see laws arise in Uganda that began to prohibit the same sex sexual acts that were known Mm -hmm. to occur in Uganda. No, no shame, kind of shame, UK, still love you though. And then comes the Penal Code of 1950. So, oh, sorry, the Penal Code Act of 1950. Mm. Now, this bitch of an act contains three sections that uh, basically say the following, unfortunately. That's literally what I think of them. Section 145 goes for unnatural offenses. And this is any person who, A, has a carnal knowledge of any person against the order of nature. B, has carnal knowledge of an animal. And I'm, I'm assuming that means sex. I don't really know. And C, permits a male person to have carnal knowledge of him or her against the order of nature. 
And this is basically like you're anyone who commits this offense is liable to imprisonment for life. Mm-hmm. Section 146, attempt to commit unnatural offenses. Any person who attempts to commit any of the offenses specific, specified in section 145 commits a felony and is liable to imprisonment for seven years. Section 148 has indecent practices. Any person who, whether in public or private, commits any gross and in- any act of gross indecency with another person or procures another person to commit any act of gross indecency with him or her or attempts to com- to procure the commission of any such act by any person with himself or herself or with another person, whether in public or private, commits an offense and is liable to imprisonment for seven years. <sighs> now... That sounded like a lot of bullshit. Don't have sex. (laughs) Yes. With anything or anyone. And what I just very unbreathily said, this, so (laughs) what I just said was the updated penal code amendment, quote unquote, gender reference act of 2000. Because when in the original 1950 act, it was really go women go but it was really just for men it said like if it was a same sex act between men it was criminalized so technically if you were a lesbian it's fine yeah it's fine because there's like no law that's gonna (laughs) harm you it's like the first time that being a woman actually kind of like works in our favor no until 2000 and then they were like fuck we gotta give these women some fucking rights so in 2000 they changed the act to change the reference from any male to any person so what i just said like a minute ago any person used to be any male from 1950 up until 2000 to when they were like fuck this gave women rights and then anyone who was seen in private or heard of in private or public committing a same-sex sexual act would basically go to prison for at least seven years, you see they really try to push for some harsher acts later on, which I do get into. So with this very short and very not detailed, like definitely look into this history because it's motherfucking wild. So with this detail of how Uganda is basically towards the LGBTQ community in 1991 and homosexuality being very much illegal at the time, when David came out and was very open about expressing himself and being a gay man, he, of course, was subsequently let go from the school without any benefits, of course, because, like, why would they want to do that? And it would be clear really from the start with the discrimination that David would begin to face within his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but even with this, with this feeling of knowing the hardship that he's probably going to have to face being a man living in Uganda, he would still come out to his twin brother, John Malumba uh, Wasua. And it was said that his brother like was not shocked at all. It's his twin brother. So like uh, he just was not shocked at all by this. He would even... Uh, go on to respond with come on I could tell that you're different but I still respect you Mm. after coming out to his brother John he David would decide to move to Johannesburg South Africa where he would go on to teach 
as well as fight for the rights of the LGBTQ community within South Africa. And he was actually able to successfully make an impact while he fought there. Mm -hmm. When in 1993, the African National Congress actually endorsed the legal recognition not only of same-sex marriages within their Bill of Rights, but they also, within their constitution, prohibited any discrimination that would happen on the basis of sexual orientation. So, Great. 1993, that's big great. round of applause. That, mm-hmm. That's fucking big round of applause. Thank you, South Africa, for being way ahead of our times. Because Oh, yeah. I honestly, I didn't really know that... I didn't know it either. That's why it's just like you take a step outside and you learn a fucking lot. Even you take a step to Egypt, you learn a shit ton about butts. It's like you never know what you're going to find. Wow. Of his experience in South Africa, David would say, in South Africa, I fought for the liberation in Johannesburg. So when I came home in 1998 to Uganda, where it is still so stagnant, I had the same momentum. I tried to liberate my own community. He just, he didn't know anyone, but he knew that there were people there within Uganda that needed his help and needed his voice in order to liberate themselves. Yeah. From here, he took a very, very brave stance and decided to come out to the press or decided to come out to the public through a press conference, basically stating that he was an openly gay man. As soon as this happened, he would be arrested and beaten, it was described, like by the police as he was being arrested because he came out as an openly gay man and he would be held in police custody for about a week. But regardless of the outcome of what happened because he came out, David decided, fuck this, I'm going to keep my stance and I'm going to keep fighting. And he became a very well-known advocate for the LGBTQ community in Uganda. Mm. And he was really seen as like their first openly gay man. He became almost like a public figure to their people. Wow. He also became one of the founding members of the Sexual Minorities Uganda group, also other known otherwise known as smug and they were like an underground fighting community for the rights of the lgbtq community all of this hard work that david is doing though would not come at a small cost to him a colleague of his julian julian pepe would go on to bbc news and say that david did in fact pay face a lot of problems with the people that he worked with, especially after he began to gain media notoriety for him coming out. People that he worked with would even go as far as saying that David was trying to groom the children that he was teaching, which it's straight up a lie. It's not true in the slightest. There was no evidence to point at this. It was just straight up people being upset that he was coming out as a homosexual man and wanted to retaliate because they have nothing better to do with their fucking lives. Okay. Assholes. Assholes. While all of this is going on, Ugandan, and just to give you a setting for how the community vibe is, Ugandan MP David Bahati would introduce an anti-homosexuality bill in 2009, and this quickly became known as the Kill the Gays bill. 
because in this bill, he would vehemently fight for the execution of anyone who was found to commit any type of homosexual act. Unable to take the atrocity that was happening within his very own country, David decided enough is enough. He gave up his teaching position in order to continue to work with Smug and fight for the advocacy of the community in 2010. He would even go on that very same year to address the hostile anti-LGBTQ climate that lived within Uganda at the 2010 United Nations Conference on Human Rights. But while he was giving this speech, he would be met with Ugandan Human Rights Commissions openly joking and snickering while he talked. That's so annoying. Then comes the Rolling Stone paper. Oh. Now, this is not affiliated with the American one. Okay. It's the Ugandan one. But on October of 2010, this paper would drop a headline with two of the most deadliest and igniting words that could be plastered on front of a paper. On the front of the page of the Rolling Stones, it would say, hang them. Followed by the names, pictures, and addresses of 100 people within Uganda who were known to be openly gay at the time. Holy shit. And David's picture, name and address, made the list. Thankfully, not so it was released. I couldn't get the exact date sometime in October. And I know like they released multiple papers with multiple names. So like they were trying to continue to do this work when thankfully a petition was granted in November 2nd of 2010. So like barely a month later, that would completely end the paper company. Rolling Stone is no longer existing in Uganda because of this act. Thankfully. Wow. Yeah. Rightfully outraged, David and two other smug members, Kasha Nabagarasara and Pepe Julian Onazema, would sue the paper that so hatefully and dangerously blasted the lives of so many people within their community. Thankfully, a judge would see the atrocity that was just committed and rule that this publication did indeed violate the constitutional right to privacy that these people obviously had. And on June 3rd of 2011, the judge would order the paper to pay each of the plaintiffs, so all three of them that sued, 1.5 million Uganda shillings, which in 2012, I com- it was converted to about $600. Oh. Uh, but fuck you inflation if you look it up in today's money it's only 409 dollars. so like i literally don't know how much money it was like 409 is but it i guess like during the time it was equivalent to 600 american dollars and like that was probably like a lot back then i literally don't remember what money was like back then it seems so unreal unfortunately even though david and the two other peers that he had sued basically the papers with did experience a win within their community it really didn't feel like such at least to the people of smug 
David would state in one of the articles that I read that he would experience an increase in threats against him ever since the winning of his court was announced. Mm. And just weeks later, on June 26th of 2011, around 1 to 2 p.m., one of those threats would be carried out against David. Oh my goodness. While in his home in Bakuso, Mukuno town, David would be attacked by a man. It was said that this man was armed with a hammer and would bludgeon him twice in the head. On the way to Kualo General Hospital, David Kato Kisule would unfortunately die from his injuries. So he, in route, would not make it. He would... Mm. After hitting David in the head twice, it was said in one article that he would flee on foot, though it was very much more common that he fleed in a vehicle. From what I could gather, I believe it was the vehicle that he left in, along with statements that I'll get into, which helped like verify the attacker and who actually killed him. Mm. Though David had an obvious target on his back for being an openly gay man in Uganda and a very open spokesperson for the LGBTQ community, it would be stated in reports later on, even I believe to this day, that David's murder was done by robbers. It was not a hate crime by any means. I don't even know if their law system has anything like that. I did not research that big into it. But basically, a police spokesperson would come out and say this was the work of done by a robber that was guilty of killing about 10 others in the area at the time over the past two months. Hmm. On February 20, or sorry, on February 2nd of 2011, police would actually arrest someone by the name of Nasubugo Anach. And this person was a well-known thief as well as a local gardener within the town that David had lived in. So it kind of fit the bill. And it also did not hurt that, sorry. And Notch would confess to the murder and basically state that it wasn't a robbery. It wasn't because, you know, David was some kind of LGBTQ activist. It was basically what settled down to a personal disagreement. But I can't divulge further into that. I I can't say anything more, but that's all I'll get into. Okay. I... I did find in one article, though, I don't want to say that this is the truth, but it was saying like, and this is like what I think was somewhat of a slander campaign, but it would be said that this person would be like, oh, he owed me money for sexual favors. And that's why I felt, I guess, the need to kill him because he wasn't giving me money for these favors that were owed. But again, like... Just like he had the slander that went on when he was being a teacher, it it's just the easy excuse out. It's like literally playing the when the white woman kill, kills her children and she's like, oh, a black man did it. It's just like literally like, yeah, the evidence that was given to these courts uh, that was led by the state prosecutor, Lo Karungi, would 
be enough to sentence Nasugubo Enoch uh, to at least 30 years of hard labor by Justice Joseph Malungiri. And this would be done on Thursday, November 10th of 2011. But in documents, the motive under this would be stated as robbery. So it's not seen as any kind of hate act or done because he had just been released with his address, name, and face as being an openly gay man in a community where they openly did not like people of the LGBTQ community. It's just like a mere coinkydink that he just so happened to die after all this information was let go and right david's funeral will be held on january 28th of 2011 in nakawala and it gets really upsetting when you come to find out that even in death david cannot find peace or at least have a peaceful funeral this pastor uh, fuck you, Angelican pastor. <laughs> Thomas Muko- Musoko. I literally don't care. He would make a speech. He, I guess, had agreed to make a speech during the funeral. And then when the funeral was occurring and he went up there to make his speech, he began preaching against the gays and lesbians in the crowd. Okay. He would start to make comparisons against Sodom and Gomorrah before he would be rightfully pulled away by the activists that were present in the crowd trying to just memorialize their friend that had just fucking died yeah when one woman yelled who are you to judge others kind of eerily how you were saying like villagers in the town got pissed and pure chaos broke out they thought like they were on the side of the pastor and at that point as soon as all of that broke out they would outright refuse to bury david at his set burial spot that he had in uganda they were just like fuck you we don't care yeah and they would leave the burden of finding a new burial place to his friends and his co-workers Mm. they would thankfully find a spot and excommunicated Anglican church leader of Uganda, Bishop Christopher Senyonjo, would officiate Kato's burial in the presence of friends and cameras alike. Because this was a very media, like media-sized event. Is that a word? I don't know. But it was like very much in the media during the time that this publicized. was going on. Because publicized. Thank you so much. <laughs> Just, it, it's... This was happening in 2010, 2011, and it's crazy to think we did not in America have same-sex marriage until 2016. So it, it's very much not, it's not that long ago. It was yesterday, right. yesteryear. At David's funeral, from family, friends, and fellow activists alike would wear a t-shirt with his photo in the front. And the phase Aluta Continua, which means the struggle continues on the back. One of his colleagues who asked to stay anonymous when they were interviewing him for this article that I had read, which obviously I linked down below, 
but they remembered him as a brave man. Uh, it was said that he wasn't afraid to speak out and would always put himself out there. He took a lead role in developing the HIV slash AIDS policy for a number of organizations, which I'm scratching the surface here because it's a drunk mystery in history. And also, like, I would take five days to explain what this guy did. He literally has done so much for Uganda, for the black community in general. It's for the black LGBTQ community. He has been such a big activist and it takes like such a strength to show up especially when you're facing a thing like death and to be like I don't care and I will face it. Another person who was a student in London who had actually met David at an event recently her name was Rebecca McDowell. She would say that he was aware of what he was doing and the fact that you know it was very dangerous and she said, you know, it. he was very much aware that he was risking his life by coming out and doing this. She would later tell BBC News that he was so inspirational as a speaker. He looked like a small, unassuming person, but when he got up, you couldn't help but sit up and listen. Miss Pepe, who I have been kind of like saying throughout um, the episode, she has been giving quite a lot of quotes throughout um, I really hope I'm saying her name wrong, but her are right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I blame the white claw. But um, her and Mr. Kato or like David's family in general are just still in utter shock. I think even to this day, rightfully so. Any f- family who is a victim of trauma is just you never expect it and you never think it, that it's going to be your family that experiences this. She quoted that we spoke to Wasawa yesterday. This was uh, back in 2011 when the event occurred. And this is also talking about his twin brother, John. Um, And it stated that he was equally devastated. He was trying to hold it together, but he shattered because, of course, they were really close. It was also said that, like, hours before David had died... They were act like her and David were actually on the phone talking. Her and Pepe, or Aww. sorry, David and Pepe were on the phone talking. She says that I could hear his laughter in my head, and to this day, it like breaks my heart because it's just one of the last things that she heard before her friend was ultimately killed because of his lifestyle Ugh. of all fucking things. Oh, I feel that. I feel that agony. I do. David's death would rob Uganda of one of their loudest voices and one of the only voices that they had. Thankfully, this anti-homosexuality bill, I'm like a slightly modified version came into law in 2014, but when they were pushing for the extreme death, if you were found that you were homosexual, you were immediately going to die. Once European countries heard this, they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a little extreme. And they started to pull finance, like funds from Uganda. And they were like, okay, okay, well, we won't kill them. So we they gave like some modified version And that was what was passed in 2014. And 
even though it's modified, you're still plummeting this whole community into a living hell because you are saying it is rightfully so to punish them just for how they're living their fucking lives. Thankfully, five months later, it would be nullified on some technicality. But either way, the community had its thoughts. It had it was set in its ways and this like vigilante violence would happen of them like hunting down people who were known to be gay or openly a part of the LGBTQ community and either try to harm or kill them. And it got to a point where really anyone who was within the LGBTQ community within Uganda had to leave, either felt the need to leave or it had to be within complete secrecy and they could never reveal themselves because it is their lives on the line. It, they didn't feel safe. And unfortunately, still to this day, there isn't any big update for me to give you. Uh, there isn't any current bill or word of legislation that is in a whisper to help anybody within the LGBTQ LGBTQ community earn any basic right of humanship back. Mm -hmm. And many who are within this community, like I said, just up and leave because they do not feel safe. Um, but regardless of this, you know, we still must fight. I will leave with a quote that was given by David himself just a few weeks before he was killed, which was highlighted in a huffing in a Huff Post interview. And here he states, there aren't many people now who are willing to stand up and say they support LGBT rights. But I believe we can find those who are open minded and show them this is a matter of basic human rights. Mm. And it was said that, as confidently as I tried to sound, David said it much more confidently. Hell yeah, David. But that is the amazing and very liberating life of a very brave man that lived in Uganda by the name of David Kato Kisule. Kisule. Oh, thank you, Kristen. Thank you. Um, I had never heard of David's story before, but now I. I have been blessed with it. You know, and it's unfortunate, obviously, but he, I, I just know he's an amazing person. And it really started off with me finding the Rolling Stone paper that quoted the one hundred, like the Hang Them article, like. That is what is most reported. But then I found David's story and it just, it needs to be spoken. It's yeah. the volumes that it speaks. He was so brave in a time where no one felt brave and no one felt that they were sh like could speak. And he was that voice for them. And it's just, mm -hmm. I, I wish that we could have change to say like right now it's great but all i can wish is for tomorrow we will have something for david to celebrate and it will be worth it in the end because his his family really never got justice it was labeled as a robbery right after he was fucking put on a rolling stone paper saying hang them it's yeah. just how how can you live in a society where one that's acceptable i'm i'm glad that the judicial system found it 
you know, not acceptable, I guess. But the fact that it happened, it's, it really took a step back. And it's just the fact that you live your life a certain way and people feel like they have enough of a say in it to go in and kill you is really astounding. Um, it, it needs to change. We, right. we need to have basic rights for everyone on this fucking planet. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. Yeah. It's just crazy. Until until you can divulge in the craziness further, be sure to follow us on all the latest and greatest. Maybe send us an email if you want. Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast at gmail.com. And Twitter and <laughs> social <always>. media. <laughs> oh, I'm just like, I'm so fast. <laughs> and everything else at R A R W Podcast. Mm. And if you know a good way to calm down after being immediately maddened, let us know. But until next time, guys. <laughs> I'm going to go drink until I forget. Bye. <laughs>